tag. Let's start it off. The first bite. Helps if I have the first bite up. Yeah, debatable. Does anyone know why Major League Baseball <laughs> is going to have a lockout? We do have breaking news. Oh. From Bob Nightingale. Did they meet for more than 30 minutes? They, it appears they will. Major League Baseball and the union have agreed to meet in two hours from now with little hope <laughs> <laughs> of a resolution by tonight's lockout deadline. If there's no deal, which there won't be, or at least any momentum towards resolving the differences, which there won't be given they talked for 30 minutes yesterday, <laughs> the lockout will happen. The clock is ticking. Do we have an actual list of like what they can't, like, is it like, Offsetting language. What is what? Right. So that's what I was curious about because we've, I mean, hell, we've mentioned on the show, yeah, there's a lockout. Of course, there's going to be a lockout. But I was like, what? What about? Like, what are they? <laughs> what are they upset about? So Jeff Passan of ESPN did write a story about it, and here's what he wrote: The players want bigger paydays earlier in their careers, more competitive integrity, no service time manipulation, and fewer artificial restraints on players via the competitive balance tax. Uh, the owners want a static amount of spending on players, expanded playoffs, and an international draft, plus some on-field changes, like the universal DH would be an example of that. I guess my main question from all of that, though, is how far along are they in figuring some of this stuff out? Because if you're telling me oh. that the players want bigger paydays earlier in their careers, like one of the problems for Major League Baseball players is that we are like, wow, Carlos Correa is a free agent at 27. He's a really young free agent. That's kind of a problem because most baseball free agents hit free agency when they're 29, 30 years old. Something like that's when guys get big paydays. So, yes, I understand the players. They want guys that can hit free agency earlier because you can get paid more earlier in your career. But I guess the my my question is like, what exactly do they want to put in place, and are they anywhere close to having an well, agreement as to what they want to put in place? How early do they want it? They haven't had did pass and specify. I mean, no, how not early at all. Do they want no, free agents? again, no, not at all. Not a single detail about hey, the players like want, want to implement twenty five, right? Or whatever. They want to implement blank. It's just hey. They want basically players to get to free agency earlier. They want service time manipulation, which is where, you know, players spend the first month and a half in the minors and then they get called up. So it saves a year of service. That was the time. Chris Bryant situation. Right. It's happened with a lot of players right. where they're like, wow, I could have been a free agent one year earlier, right. but because he held me out for 45 days or whatever it is, right. I had to wait another year for free. So like they want things like that changed. But again, like you said, I, I don't. I don't know what the actual details are. I don't know what exactly Major League Baseball's players are saying about, hey, we want this specifically, and the owners are saying, well, no, we don't want to give you that. We don't know. We just kind of know the overall goals, which makes me sit back and think, wow, this is going to be a really long lockout if if we don't even have really reports on exactly what the team or what the owners and players are disagreeing on. It seems like it's a good time for the lockout. No lockout has ever missed regular season games. They they uh, extended spring training in the one year. Uh, so it, it's extended the start of the season for one week, but they got all the games. And so I think we're all hoping that that happens again. Let me ask you a few things. I don't under, I, I, I'm going to preface this, but I don't understand most of this in terms of CBAs. An international draft. I understand on-field changes at the Universal DH. Why are you fighting an international draft? Because there's far more people that are going to be uh, eligible, and you're thinking, you know, 
kids in America won't get drafted as high. I'm I'm trying to think why, why would the players fight it? Yeah, yeah, why would the players fight? That? Uh good question. I I don't know cuz I the way it's phrased is they would have a separate draft away from the regular draft that would just, just be for international, international players? players. And that's something the owners want. Right. Right. That that might not be as big of an well that can't be as big a deal as the money. I can't I can't I, I'd have to imagine for the players that's pretty low on the list, but I will say right now Shohei Otani got to pick which team he played for, which if you're a player, you want to pick what team you sure. play for. Whereas if there were an international draft, Shohei Otani would have gotten drafted by whoever the Marlins right. or something like that. So that is interesting. I, I'd have to imagine that's what the players would maybe be like that specifically. They'd be like, no, let those guys have the choice that no point in having an international draft, but it is weird that baseball is sort of the one American sport where just because you're from a different country means you're not a part of our draft. Okay, like, so two things I think we understand that I want to get your thoughts on because I haven't asked you this. Universal DH. Yes. I agree. I'm tired of watching yes. pitchers. I, I totally agree with that. That's, and again, every every point we're making, I'm trying to go back to the other side that doesn't want it. I understand, and you have down here, I understand they want to have 14 teams in the playoffs. They want to expand the playoffs. I do understand the player side of things and what they're saying is the more you let in, the less competitive people are going to try to be, the less they're going to spend because it's going to be easier to make the postseason. Um, so I understand that part of it. Universal DH, I don't know where they're split on the players. I we I want don't it. think the players. I don't think the players are against the universal DH. I think they're using it as, hey, the owners want this, so we're not going to give it to them unless they give us something. Yeah, so it's a bargaining chip. Yeah, so I don't think the players are necessarily against a universal DH. I think they just realize, oh, the owners really want this. We don't really care, but we'll give it to them as long as they give some sort of concession somewhere else. I do like on the expanded playoffs. You and I talked about this before we started choosing teams that the number two, the first divi- number one division winner gets the buy. That's fine. Um, the two and three division winners pick which wild card they want to play. Yes. Oh, it'd, Th- be, that's, it'd be terrific. I, I love that. So we almost had that this year in the American League wild card. Had there been a three way tie? You would have had teams picking their path or whatever. This setup, if they go to a 14-team playoff like the way the owners have apparently proposed it, number one seed in the American and National League would get a bye, and then the next two division winners, the number two and three teams, would pick among four wildcard teams who they would want to play, and then the remaining two wildcard teams would go play each other, and then that would be, they'd play a three-game series. It'd all be at the higher seeds ballpark. There'd be no travel involved. And then they go on to the normal playoffs like we see now. I am all on board because the drama of teams picking another team to play is terrific. And you put that on TV and you make whoever the most visible member of that team is go on TV and say, yes, we want to play the Cardinals would be phenomenal. Like with the first pick, we're picking the Cardinals because we think they suck. Oh, it'd be great. Be phenomenal. And then when the first time you have a team, that like picked out an opponent and then lost to them. Oh, oh, that'd be great. Has nothing to do with this conversation, but it almost reminds me of Friday Night Lights with Billy Bob Thornton and three coaches had to flip coins on who advanced to the playoffs. And if you got the odd coin, you're out of the playoffs. And in Texas high school football, forget about it. Two heads and a tail. That tail guy, what a disaster. Oh. <laughs> so it's, 
it does cool it would be odd drama dramatic somewhat dramatic tv if you're on there with like placards and you hold up this is who we want to yes. play like they make it as dramatic as possible <laughs> about who the cardinals or who who the dodgers who who anyone's picking to play in the wild card that'd be awesome no you do it like deal or no deal where you're just like all right the pick is in and you'll find out next yes, exactly <laughs> i do disagree with the players though on their on idea of expanded playoffs so the players to say, hey, if you expand the playoffs, teams are going to be less incentivized to spend, to money spend money and go for it basically at a year-to-year basis. Because if you go to 14 teams, there's going to be teams under 500 that yes. make the playoffs at times. So teams are going to say, hey, we don't have to spend that much. We can get in if we're just sort of okay. I think it'd be the other way around. I think you'd have more teams. Because right now, if you go into a year and you're like projected to win 75 games. Like the Rangers. You've got to be 15 games better than that projection to have a chance to make the playoffs, right? You've got to get around 90 wins. Sometimes, you know, 80, the Braves had like 88, I think. So like you obviously can get in with less, but normally like 90 ish is the goal for playoff teams right now. If you expand to seven, the goal might become 80. And if you're projected to be like a 75 win team, you look around and say, well, if we add one more player and we we overachieve a little bit. We're in the playoffs. So I like maybe at the top end, you'd have a little bit less, but I think you'd have more teams going for it. You'd have more teams saying, well, yeah, we could, we get in the playoffs. And as we've seen from the baseball playoffs, teams like the Atlanta Braves can win the world series. They can win the world series. So I, I disagree. I think you'd have more teams effectively trying to win than you do right now, because there'd be more spots. I think a lot of this is bargaining chips and it's real. The real idea or the real problem for the players is what it's always for. And it comes down to the money. Yeah. I don't know what you think. I'm always conditioned maybe because it's happened so much in the past. The owners will win out. They, they, they have the leverage in terms yeah. of they can afford to miss a season. Yeah, absolutely. And the players can't no. because for most players in major league baseball, what's the average, like three years or something, guys that make it to the league, the average is it, it's not long. So to miss one season, to miss half of a season is a massive deal mm-hmm. for a player, for the players, for the owners who, for them, I mean, okay, yeah, we missed half a season. Yeah. I still own the team. I'm going to own the team I'm for the next decade. Like who cares? So the owners are always going to have leverage in this situation, largely because the owners are able to make money when there isn't a season, whereas the players can't make money when there isn't a season. I guess they could go. I don't know, work at a grocery store or something or do endorsements. But for the most part, you're random. Uh, guys. There will also be significant others saying we didn't get the check this month. <laughs> if that's my significant other, it's like, look, hey, hey, Corey, we didn't get the check this month for nine million dollars on your monthly payback. So what's what's happening here? Um, you're, you're right. I mean, you're, you're always conditioned that the owners will win out in this stuff. And I think a lot of this stuff, you're exactly right in Universal DH expanded playoffs. You're, I don't know if you go to the wall for that. You probably do go to the wall or try to at least for, we want to get paid more earlier. Right. Because again, we're, we're talking about like Shohei Otani is a great example. Shohei Otani's making nothing. Right. Shohei Otani right. won. The MVP is like pitching and hitting. We're like, Oh, Babe Ruth is alive again. <laughs> and the guy made nothing last year. And it's because of the way baseball is structured that you, you don't get paid until you've been in the league for, five, six years. Most of the time, like you just, you just don't like the Astros best two hitters over the next like three or four years are going to be Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez. Neither one of them is going to make a million dollars next year. 
Like they're both going to be on league minimum salaries because they're they're still under contract. Because the way baseball works is you don't even like you don't even get like a contract when right. you start. You're you're under arbitration. Like every year, a new guy decides what your salary is based on how well you play. Like it's bizarre. It's not even like football where yep you drafted a guy. Here's your rookie contract. It's four years. After that, good luck to you. This is like, nope, you're under team control for seven seasons. I do have and have had a problem in the past with the service manipulation. Oh, it's it's brutal. It's, it's yeah. brutal. That's absolutely brutal. And I, I mentioned Chris Bryant because that was the one off the top of my head that I remembered that the Cubs did that to him. It leaves a sour taste in your mouth yeah. when free agency comes up, and it's like, you screwed me yeah. out of a year on purpose. Yeah. I mean, George Springer never said this explicitly, but George Springer he was another wanted one. to leave the Astros, and a big reason why was they manipulated his yeah. service time, and he became a free agent at 30 instead of 29 or something like right. that. And he was, and people, I mean, you, I would hate that too. You basically lose a year of making big money, and that's something. I mean, listen, if you're a team and you understand the rules, you're going to do it. No, I, no, they follow the rules. You get an extra year. Rule. You get Absolutely. an extra year of sure. Chris Bryant. I understand why an, they did it. Right, but that's what the players want to close that so the teams aren't, they have no incentive to do that because the other part of it is a George Springer, is a Chris Bryant. We saw it with Juan DeFranco and the Rays last year. Like, you're not playing your best lineup, too. No. Like, when you intentionally leave a guy in the minors for 45 days or right. whatever, you're not playing your best lineup because you want that extra year, so it hurts the current team as is. All right, coming up next, oh, Derek Carr is going to break some NFL records, isn't he? I mean, no one thought we were going to win this game. I mean, don't really blame you for how we played the last week, Paul. But we did, and you were wrong. So that felt good because I love you. Yeah, I think on the touchdown, you saw, I think Derek might have been the first or second guy out there to congratulate him. So I think Derek is about the team. Derek is about doing whatever we can do to put ourselves in position to win a game. And I think you see it by the way in which he prepares, by the way in which he plays. And they certainly have a professional um, relationship with respect to each other's job and what they're trying to do to help us win. And so I don't feel like that's an issue in any way. And um, so I just feel like they're they're certainly competitors but i certainly think they want to do whatever they can do to help us win games we're back to the press box with grainy and bischoff is darren waller playing i don't think he is okay hey by the way did you ever hear did you, we, we talked about this have you ever done any did you do any more research on the tendon the it band yeah no did Neither you did I. No, no oh okay me <laughs> no, I don't, I'm not smart at, enough. At 10.02, he goes. Medical terms. All right, I'm out. 10.02. It's 9.59. <laughs> Do I make 10.02? <laughs> well, you have to day? pack up a laptop. <laughs> That's, that is true. Well, I'm doing that at 9.56. Um, no, I did not. I'm not smart enough to know any medical terms beyond ACL and MCL, so I did not. But I don't think he's playing this week. <sighs> All right. I picked up Foster Moreau. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fun stat yesterday from Bill Barnwell. Derek Carr right now is on pace to throw for the third most yards in NFL history this season. Now, that is with an extra game in hand, right? They're playing 17 games this year. This is the first year of 17 games. His yards per game total would not be the third best of all time, but it's still fairly remarkable that Derek Carr is on pace to throw for the third most yards in NFL history for 310 yards per game. His previous career high was 262. Like he's 50 yards over what he normally does. He does only have the third best quarterback rating of his career, both 2019 and 2020. He was more efficient in terms of QB rating uh, than he has been this year. But there was also this stat from Scott Kazmer. 
Of the 124 quarterbacks in NFL history to throw for 3,000 yards through 11 games, Carr ranks 105th in touchdown passes. So Carr's thrown for a lot of yards. Carr has not thrown for a lot of touchdowns. Are we just chalking this up to this team's been bad in the red zone for a while now? Or like, does Derek Carr have a lot of empty stats here? I mean, I think the red zone has a lot, if not most, to do with it. They've been terrible in the red zone. And he hasn't thrown many touchdown passes, obviously, there, as you just said. So, you know, the other thing you have down here, which I agree with, is no running game and bad offensive line. So I'm not going to say his stats are empty. 6-0 and after he throws for 300 yards, they average over 30 points in those games. When he's good, he's good. When he's bad, we've seen what happened. Uh, but I don't want to totally disregard his numbers just because he hasn't thrown a lot of touchdown passes. I think the interesting part of this season, and like when we're looking at specific stats, I think... Part of the big, the big part of it is they don't have a running game. So, like, they don't no. have another way to generate yards. No. If they're getting yardage, it's because Derek Carr's throwing it. There's not much else there. But also, the way a lot of their wins have played out have been fall behind early. Mm. And, okay, we've got to throw we it on throw every down in the second half. Yeah, they, they, that's the whole thing, the, yeah. the slow starts. They did that against the Ravens in the first game of the year, the Dolphins, until they got the safety it was like that. Like, they've had so many games where they have started off so bad that really the only answer, the only path to victory is, all right, Derek Carr, you're going to have to throw right. for 400 yards or we're losing this game. Yep. So I think that's sort of been an interesting setup where Carr hasn't been good, but about you know, a little more than 50% of the time this season. And even in those games where he's been good, he's been bad for stretches during a lot of those games, but they've had such good third and fourth quarters or overtime periods that they've been able to pull out some of these wins. And Derek Carr is able to rack up some of those stats. Another reason for it is they've gone to overtime three times in 11 games, which is fairly ridiculous to have that many overtime periods so far this season. So it's, uh, I think it's, I don't know what exactly to do in terms of evaluating Derek Carr because when Derek Carr has been good, he's probably been top five quarterback mm-hmm. in the league. But when Derek Carr has been bad, which again, it's been about half the season, we've, we're talking about, well, where's Marcus Mariota? Like that's, that's the weirdness of this season. And yet at the end of the day, Carr's got, you know, the most passing yards in the league. What well, does that play into your idea about empty stats? Because when he's 0-5, well, he's 6-0 and when he, when he throws for 300-plus. He's 0-5 when he doesn't. And the numbers in terms of scoring in those games are starkly different. So that might play into your idea that these stats are empty and that there's more to this than him just throwing for 300 yards and then winning a game. I mean, some of the losses, the stats become empty when you don't score points. Like when you're scoring 13-14 a game and you're losing, when they would they had that three game losing streak where they didn't break 16 points. Like that was the most they scored in three games. And it's like, Carr didn't have good games. Didn't have massive passing yardage games, but like when you throw for 200 plus, but your team scores one touchdown. Yeah. It's pretty empty. Like that's a pretty pointless game because it's for whatever reason, Derek Carr seems to be, it's like, he's a top five quarterback between the twenties and then inside the red zone. What's going on there. We have not figured that out for three years with Derek Carr. Now, like, what's happening in the red zone where it's just, yeah, okay, everything's broken now. He needs Michael Crabtree. <laughs> like, that's it. That's the only he thing He also needs to not throw three, three straight swing passes by the line of scrimmage no, no. to the short side of the yeah. field where there's no chance of scoring. Yeah, probably avoid that. <laughs> that kind of hurts. But it's, it's so bizarre because if you look, all right, 
if we ignore what we've seen this season from the Raiders in the red zone, their passing game, Darren Waller, should be a really good red zone target, mm-hmm. right? Is there any reason he shouldn't be a good red zone target? Hunter Renfro breaks a guy's ankles like every time they get on the goal line, right? Hunter Renfro should be a good red zone target. Brian Edwards, like when they draft him, like, oh, he's a oh, big body receiver. Gonna he's going to be him. a great red zone yep. target. Like, just if you just like looked on paper, you would think the Raiders receivers are like, yeah, they should be pretty good in the red zone. Maybe they're going to suck between the 20s, but once they get in the red zone, they should be good, but they're not. So it's, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is in the red zone. Like they're, but they've just been so bad. And I think that's probably the biggest issue when you're looking at Derek Carr's like counting stats and what the offense has actually been this season. It's Hey, when they get to the red zone, this team struggles, you know what I should look up in their wins. How often are they scoring from like 30 plus yards out? Like how, like the Deshaun Jackson touchdown against Dallas, right? right? Or the Zay Jones walk off against the Ravens. Like, how often are they scoring without having to score from the red from zone? From the red zone. That's what I, that's what I'd be curious to see. Like how often are they hitting on the big on play? On the wins. Yeah, in the wins when they hit on the big plays versus okay, a good 10 play drive gets them down to the 10 yard line and, and then they, they stall out. Right. Right. So I that's something I should look up and see because I think that might I think that might be the simplistic key to the Raiders offense is hey, if they score from like 40 yards out they, they're going to win the game. Right. If they don't, they're going to kick a field goal from 30 yards away. And it's going to be Daniel Carlson, AFC's player of the week. Again. He was special teams was. player of the week this week. Keep yes. kicking those Five field, field goals. goals. So I, that that's what I'd be curious to look up and see right now is, is the big play and how often when it, it and it goes for a touchdown, not the big play where somebody gets tackled. No, Cause the big the play is going to get him in the red right. zone and yeah. then they're going to not be able to <laughs> score a touchdown. So that's, that's something I'm curious to see. Like you, you have the big play, does it get you in the end zone or does it get you in the red zone and you stall out? I wonder if there's a correlation between that and the Raiders actual offensive success this season. Coming up next, David Shane joins the show. Marcheseau took a spill. Nugent Hopkins nearly stole it. Vegas ahead. Marcheseau to Theodore. Back to Marcheseau in the slot. Knocked off the puck. Loose in front. Bang it away. They score! Jonathan Marcheseau! You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Review Journal is David Shane. Uh, David, I, I, I'm curious if you have a theory for this. Uh, league-wide, the NHL, they've had to postpone games for two different teams. They're the only... Uh, of our major pro sports teams in the U.S. to have to do that. Do you have any idea, any theory why the NHL's kind of had a worse time with COVID than the rest of our leagues? No, I don't. Uh, first off, thanks for having me on. Uh, good to talk to you guys again. <laughs> David? Um, <laughs> yeah, smooth transition there, right? Uh, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's a locker room thing, if it's something with the way that guys are situated and one case seems to maybe spread. Uh, quicker um, than it seems to, I, you know, it's weird. I don't know if it's a coincidence. Um, one of the things that I did see yesterday uh, was a memo um, that had gone out or some, something about it. And it, it sounded like it was coming from outside. Like, like they had determined the cases were like from the public. And so, you know, basically the, the, the memo was kind of basically saying, I think it was Frank Cervelli that had put it out, you know, like no Christmas parties, um, none of the, you know, take precautions, all that sort of stuff. So 
clearly for whatever reason, it seems to be a bigger problem in the NHL right now. And, you know, hopefully to use, you know, like Pete DeBoer's phrase, it hopefully doesn't become like a runaway train or anything. Yeah, the, the Knights have had their own issues. Now Carlson, I mean, do you guys go on a daily basis just waiting for another name? Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much show up to practice, see who's not there, and then assume the worst until, you know, until we're told otherwise. It seems to kind of be, you know, the way that things are done here, unfortunately, the last, you know, year and a half plus. All right, let's go back before we talk about today's game against Anaheim. They play the Oilers, they lose to the Oilers, but Connor McDavid uh, did not have a point, only had one shot on goal. Braden McNabb, I think it was 13 minutes against Connor McDavid, and the uh, Golden Knights dominated the shots while they shared the ice together the takeaway from that game even though it was still a november game did you walk away from that thinking you know if these two match up in the playoffs the golden knights might have a shot to actually slow down mcdavid in a playoff series well yeah slow down i guess is relatively speaking um so you pointed out mcnab and i don't want to i don't want to downplay his contribution but i i do think alex petrangelo and playing 30 minutes against you know, it was like 14 against Drysaddle and then, you know, like almost nine against McDavid at even strength, which was basically if five on five, there was a couple four on four moments. But like, I don't think Alex Petrangelo's work can be, you know, overlooked in that game either. Uh, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I interestingly, or maybe not interestingly, but the first time that they played, even though Drysaddle ended up, I think, with two goals and an assist, one of them was an empty netter and McDavid. David ended up with two assists, I think, in the first game. I felt like they actually did a really good job against them. Shea Theodore seems to be able to be a decent matchup at some point, you know, against Connor McDavid and being able to skate with him and, and bother him that way. But, I, you know, I don't think there's any formula per se to, yeah, maybe shut them down, slow them down for sure. It is, the issue is going to be against the Oilers is if you put so much focus the way that they did on those two guys, can you also limit the supporting cast and the mistakes that the Knights made in that game allowed the supporting cast to burn them. So it's going to be, you know, important if it gets to that point where those two, two teams match up, you know, if that situation arises again, is don't turn the puck over at the blue line. You know, <laughs> if you're a four, if you're a forward and the defenseman's pinching in, like you got to fill in, you got to cover up for him. And if you're a defenseman, you know, maybe read the play a little bit better and understand you know, when you can and can't pinch, because I thought, you know, at least two or two out of those three mistakes were, were definitely avoidable. And then, you know, the Mark Stone one was like, you know, I I mean, it's on, but you know, that one, I, I I don't have as much of a problem with, I guess maybe as the other two. So I do think there's some things I know I'm rambling, but it's like, it's a, it was a weird kind of process versus results game because like Pete DeVore said, they did 80 to 85% of, Everything they want to do with that 15 or, you know, 20% absolutely cost them that game. Well, and you have the best power player, one of the best power plays against one that never really happens anymore. I know you guys have written, uh, <laughs> you and Ben, about the, the lack of power plays from the Knights. Pete DeBoer says it's not the officials. So what can they do now for people who weren't able to read it? What can they do to draw more penalties and get more power play opportunities? Yeah, which was funny because I guess if you're Keegan Colasar, you do feel like they were screwed a few times on some calls to use that that phrase. I hope that's radio friendly. Because <laughs> um, sure he, he said it in front of all of us too. Um, I do think I do think there's an element of you know, like Pete DeBoer kind of described. You know, you see a hole and you attack it instead of maybe trying to make a play around it. 
and and you have to put defensemen forwards, whatever it might be, in a position to use your you know use their stick illegally, slash, trip, hold. You know that's that's obviously not a a stick infraction if you're holding, but something along those lines. You know, move your legs, move your feet, keep driving for it, and and basically, I mean, look in some ways like it's it's kind of a soccer thing. In an extent, yes. like you have to Let's look go. for a foul, Let's you have go. to look for the penalty. <laughs> Start it's flopping. not a matter of going down. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not. Flopping. I'm a soccer fan. I'm not. I'm not intimating the flopping. <laughs> Come on, um, but you. But you're looking for a foul. You know, you're looking to draw a penalty sometimes instead of, you know, maybe, you know, always looking to make a play. And then if you have to make a a play at the end of it because the call didn't happen, okay. But I do think there's an element of being, you know, aggressively looking to draw a penalty in the Knights, you know, maybe aren't a team that does that all the time. Listen, Liverpool and Everton played a day at noon on NBCSN. I think the Golden Knights should watch it and start taking notes. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not a fan of either of those no, teams, let, so I'm go. not I'm not gonna recommend them, but but yeah, I mean I get the I get the point. I, I understand the joke that I'm going for too. So which, yeah. <laughs> which which knights would mo- most apt to be take uh, taking flops? Oh, okay. So this is totally a French Canadian thing. I'm going to be a complete and utter like jingoist racist here. Like, <laughs> like Jonathan March. So I could totally see needs to like go down, put the arm up as he's like doing the roll, you know, on the ground and yelling referee. Like, you know, he, he would totally be good at it. Yeah. But he, he'd have to, he's the one that I feel like yells the most at the other teams for doing that. Yeah, but doesn't that come with it? Yeah. Like, isn't that all kind Probably. of part of, like, yeah. being the, the agitator and being that guy that's, like, always trying to draw stuff and, you know, get under everybody's skins, like, pointing out that they're doing it, too? Like, I can totally see that. I'm on board. <laughs> I'm fully on board. All right, so hold on. In the context of playing the Oilers, Connor McDavid's been the, you know, headliner of, hey, the referees don't call all of the penalties that happen against Connor McDavid. I think to apply this league wide, Connor McDavid needs to start flopping too. Just go down, Connor. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny? I think you're joking, but I actually, <laughs> I actually think there's an element of seriousness to that. You know, like he's got to draw attention to it a little bit better. You know, I mean, some of the slashes, some of the things. You know, if you can play through it, and uh, you know, maybe the referees aren't going to reward it as much. They should. I. I'm not a big believer in like the whole star treatment element of that. Like I also think part of it is like, you know, Connor McDavid does stuff and people can't catch him. It doesn't always mean they're hacking him. Like they're a step and a half behind him. So sometimes it's less, it's an obvious, you know, pull trip or, you know, something like that. It, it, it's a little harder for him to get a call. All right. I got to ask you real quick uh, before we get to some night stuff at the end here, because everyone's talking about the Oilers, Oilers. I'm not a believer in the ducks or the sharks, but the flames are kind of sitting at the top. We haven't seen that matchup you've probably watched them and know everything about them. Like, are they a tougher matchup than the Oilers? Yeah, right now, yeah, because of the style of play, because you have Daryl Sutter and because you're going to get a team in all likelihood that's going to play similarly to the way Dallas played and the way that Montreal played in the playoffs against the Knights the last couple of years. So all of a sudden, you're going to you know, get a pretty heavy examination, I think, you know, if you're the Knights trying to get out of the Pacific Division you know, against somebody that's going to clog things up and slow things down. You know, Daryl Sutter won two cups with the Kings playing a real heavy physical style of play. And I don't, I don't think the Flames are perfectly built for it yet, but they've bought into his system and, and his style and his identity. Uh, it's one of those things where, 
you know, the more and more it goes along, the more and more they'll start to take on that personality of the coach, you know, as they win. And so from that standpoint, I feel like they're, you know, they're dangerous in a different way than the Oilers. And it's because it's a problem that the Knights haven't proven that they can get past yet in the last couple of years in the playoffs. Will Mark Stone score a goal while there's a goalie in net? <laughs> Eventually. Uh, I'll <laughs> say this week. Oh, my night to shine or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Mark Stone scores a real goal. Um, it feels like it's coming. I mean, he's got all his line mates back, so it's got to be. But, yeah, you know, you can see a little bit of the frustration, you know, at Sean's face that, you know, when especially after Saturday they don't win and, and he's not quite producing the way that he wants to. So it, it, it feels like it's starting to come, though. Can you please ask Mark Stone, hey, have you talked to Keegan Colasar about not being able to score? <laughs> about finishing? Yeah, get some, <laughs> some finishing tips around the net from Keegan Colasar. Yeah, it's, I I don't know if that's the guy you want to go to right now, but yeah, that, I don't know. I'll put, I'll put that on my list of questions for you. How about that? There you go, Tyler. Make sure that question is on a Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you ask him that on a Zoom. So everybody sees it, yeah. Well, he is David Shane from the Review Journal. David, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. I am so pumped that he almost suggested flopping. Almost went there. I'll go there. Start flopping. <laughs> I I I wish we could we had like almost a like a ticker at the bottom of the uh, of the show so that we could read David Shane of the Review Journal says Mark Stone should start flopping. Yes. And he and he was very uh poignant saying Jonathan no, no, no. March uh, yes. would be the best flopper on the team. French Canadians best <laughs> floppers. All right, coming up next, could the NHL end up pulling out of the Olympics? You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff. Call the judge and call, get some fudge. Call the judge and get some fudge? On ESPN Las Vegas. By the way, shout out to Willie Ramirez. So earlier in the show, I was like, I wonder Raiders offense when they win, when Derek Carr has a good game, how often are they scoring from big plays that don't come from inside the red zone. According to Willie Ramirez here in their losses, the Raiders have scored one touchdown from outside the red zone in their six wins. They have five touchdowns from outside the red zone. Now they've scored more touchdowns. They've scored. Uh, what is it? Looks like 20 touchdowns in their wins. And what is that? Like six, seven touchdowns in their, in their losses. losses. So one of seven from outside the red zone and losses, five of 20 from outside the red zone how, and their wins. How much perspective does that give you where in five losses they've scored seven touchdowns? <laughs> I mean, you can lose and score touchdowns, right? I mean, that's an astonishing I mean, number. Aaron Rodgers recently scored a touchdown on, like, one play and lost the game almost immediately yeah. afterwards. Oh, he scored way too quickly. He gave Kirk Cousins so much time. Which is not a statement I thought we would ever have to make. <laughs> so Gave Kirk too much time. I don't know if there's enough statistical significance there, but if the Raiders score a touchdown from outside the red zone, there's a good chance they're going to have a good offensive game. And when they have a good offensive game, they win the game more often than not. So, thanks, Willie. Can, can someone do like a statistical analysis on are they kicking when they kick field goals within the red zone? Do they win or lose versus long field goals? Because I feel like if they if they're kicking field goals in the red zone, 
probably going to lose. Well, they do that. They've done that in every game. Rich Basaccia has coached in their 500 under Rich Basaccia. Oh. The, the the red zone field goals happen no matter what. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a, can they score it's from 50 yards? Their yes. Can they also score from 50 yards? If they can't score from 50 yards, then they're just going to kick the three field goals from 20 yards away and call it a day. That's it. All right. In the NHL, there was a memo sent out. Uh, Frank Severali tweeted it out. NHL teams are being asked by the NHL to cancel holiday parties and autograph signings and charity events. All of this is in response to the amount of COVID positive tests that the NHL has had. They've had to postpone the games of multiple teams, the Senators and the Islanders. Um, so for, I'll ask you the same question I asked Dave uh, earlier. Do you have any idea, any theories to why the NHL would have this worse than our I other mean, leagues? Doesn't it have to be, for whatever reason, more close contact with people? I mean, I've been in NFL locker rooms, NBA locker rooms, NHL locker rooms. They are close in NHL locker rooms. I mean, we, we're not in there anymore. But when we used to go in there, their cubicles are very, very close to each other. Uh, it has to be close contact with guys. Obviously, these guys are going home on a daily basis, uh, maybe to the store and other places. And then when they come back to the facility, they're very close to each other. So I don't know what else. I don't know what other reason you could give for why the NHL seems to have a bigger problem than the rest of the least. Do you really think the NHL is less responsible in this? No. Why would it be? No. I, I don't mean, think so either. So, like, the memo that they put out was saying, hey, no holiday parties, autograph signings, charity. Now, events. that makes all sense. But, like... If you're having an issue with, it. I went to uh, when I went to San Diego and went to I watched the Astros play the Padres. I I told you on the show that like Astros players were signing autographs for for fans, right? Just right there, just standing next to people. So it's like the idea that the NHL has been like less safe about it, less responsible about it. I no, I don't think so. I mean, hell, part of the Aaron Rodgers testing positive for COVID story was he went to a Packers holiday party, like a players' holiday party. So I don't think so. And again. I do want to make the point that like other leagues are having positive tests too. LeBron James just right. didn't LeBron play James a just game, went on the right? safety protocol. Mike right. McCarthy's exactly. not coaching tomorrow, right. right? So there are there are definitely other leagues Amari having Cooper. positive tests, but the only major league or major league in this country that's had to postpone games is the NHL. Major League Baseball played a whole season, didn't postpone a game. Teams like the Red Sox had to play through stuff whatever, but they made it through. NFL hasn't had to do it. NBA hasn't had to do it. Only the NHL's had to do it. And it's just, it's weird. And now they're putting out this memo saying, hey, uh, don't have any holiday parties because we think that might be part of the issue. So I just looked it up. And according to the Toronto Star, rural parts of Canada are way le like less than 40% vaccinated. So you're blaming rural Canada. Yes, I am. All right. Okay. You and David Whoa. Shane just taking yes, out all the, of Canada. All, all the Canadians. He's, he's got the French Canadians <laughs> candled. I've got the poor Canadians candled. <laughs> uh, now someone, one of you has to go after Trudeau. <laughs> so the big question now from this, obviously this actual season and getting everything in is a question, but is the Olympics. The NHL agreed that NHL players can go to the Olympics. There's a break built into the schedule. It's February 7th. Through the 22nd, that is the break for the NA, for the Olympics and for NHL players to leave and not miss any games. But if we're talking about having to cancel holiday parties and autograph signings and charity events, are players really flying well, to China and playing in the Olympics and much, then coming back? In the entire Olympics, how much does this new variant come into place? 
I guess because that's, it yeah. could, that could come into play and it could affect the entire Olympics, not just the NHL. That's why I think it's kind of wait and see here. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess can the NHL pull out midseason? Like they agreed to let the players go. Can they basically go Maybe. back on that? I'm not sure. I, I can't answer. I don't that. know the don't answer know, to that I don't either. Know the answer, like, to that. and I don't know how that's. You mean like Bettman can just say, "No, nah, we're not going." Right? I can he do that? Like, does that have to be bargained with the players, or did they already agree to it, so it's already done? I right. I don't know the answer to that question. But again, when we're talking about, hey, don't have a holiday party, it's hard to envision being like, yeah, get on a plane to China, get on a plane and go to the Olympics. Right. Like, it's just that doesn't make sense. So we'll see what happens. But NHL players in the Olympics maybe doesn't happen.